It is just afternoon, so I say good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing today? As we head into the second half of 2022, unbelievable, right? So thank you for the scripture reading. It was great. Better than I could do with those names. You're right. But before we go into the sermon, I'm going to have a little fun with you. Now, our church is located between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, close to the 3rd, right? I grew up in a city. I lived in Harlem. And when I was going to school, Stuyvesant at NYU, I was a courier, a messenger, and I would deliver things. I would walk in the city and take the train. And they would give us these cards. And the cards would tell us how to figure out what the street addresses meant to help us. Now, I, I threw that card away decades ago. But I remember 2nd and 3rd Avenue for some reason. So let me show you. Let's say someone says, I want to meet you on 1,000 3rd Avenue at Bloomingdale's, right? You say, well, where is that? I'll Google it. No, 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 you don't have to do that. I'll teach you. 1,000 3rd Avenue. Take off the last digit. Gives you what, 100? Divide by 2. Gives you 50. Add 10. You have 60. 60th Street and 3rd Avenue. Right? My, I work at 622 3rd Avenue. Well, where is that? Take off the last digit. That's 62. Divide by 2. 31, add 10, 41st Street. Now we'll do 2nd Avenue. I know, I know, you're impressed. <laughs> now I'll do 2nd Avenue, okay? I'm going to meet you at 800 2nd Avenue, the Daily News Building. Take off the last digit, that gives you 80. Divide by 2, 40, uh, right? And add 3, not 10, 3, 43rd Street. And finally, I grew up in East Harlem on 21, 27 Second Avenue. Actually, my good friend Joe Robertson back there, standing at handsome man back there, lives on 110th and Third Avenue. So I went to East Harlem. We walked around. I, we stood in front of my apartment building where I grew up, 21, 27 Second Avenue. Take off the, se the 7, that's 212. Divide by 2, that's 106. Add 3. I grew up on 109th Street and Second Avenue. So now you can impress friends you're meeting, uh, just... Business associates, if you want a, a meeting a blind date, to impress them that, wow, you get in first base that way. Okay, great. So could you put up the first slide? I want to ask you a couple of questions before we start. I want you to think of a situation, a challenge, a trial, or a difficult issue you may be facing. It could be health-related, family, relationships, financial, your relationship with God, some major uncertainty about your future. I'll give you a half a minute to think about something. It might be big. It might be something small. Something that's, you know, maybe on your mind, even preoccupying you lately. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe God is bigger than this situation, challenge, or issue? I was going to actually put really twice. Because if I ask you to raise your hand, I'm going to raise my hand, right? Because that's what you want to believe. But do you really believe God is bigger than an issue or any other issue you're going to face in your life? Do you really believe? And then number three, how much time and energy have you used up so far trying to figure out a solution or a best-case scenario? How many times have your head spinned around figuring out how this is going to work? Okay, we're going to go through the story again. Thank you, Scripture Reader, again. I'm going to take you through different segments. And I'm also going to interwoven a story when I was younger, living in the story as a young Christian, and how God used that situation to get me to the story. And so we'll go back and forth, okay? It'll be a little tricky. Stay with me. So put up the first four verses again, please. Okay. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Mayanites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people... In came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazanzan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town 
in Judah to seek him. Now, if you were here in June, we did a series on transition, different aspects of transition in the Bible. Now, this story has as this backdrop transition, although it's not the main thing of the story, it is transition. Because if you read the chapter or so before this, you would see that Jehoshaphat was governing the people of Judah. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, I think it was around 850 BC. And things were going pretty good. There was peace. He's just administering, governing, nothing bad. It was pretty peaceful. I'll take that, especially these days, right? That, that's fine. Suddenly, Drop of a coin, word of an, attending, an unexpected impending attack happened suddenly, okay? And by the way, it wasn't going to be a fair fight. They were going to be outmanned, destroyed. It, it would be like Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens ganging up on little Staten Island. Little, poor little Staten Island would have no chance whatsoever. And the people of Jehoshaphat had no chance here. But let's think about transition for a minute. So let's say you go to sleep. And you have this wonderful dream. You dream you're in paradise. You dream you're on the beach or on vacation. You're at your favorite place in the world or whatever. You're even your favorite dinner. Or you're just with friends and having a great time. And you don't want that dream to end, right? And it's there and there. Then all of a sudden you get up. Maybe you have to use the restroom in the middle of the night. And then you're going back. But if you're like me, you go into that room called the kitchen. And you open up the freezer. And there's the half gallon. And take out your spoon. And you start taking one, two, three, four, five. Good. I'll stop there. And then you go back to sleep and say, I can't wait for that dream. Go back to sleep. Darkness. What happened? It's dark. It's black. There's dread and fear in that dream. It's a nightmare. And you feel like somebody's chasing you. Have you ever had that? Or there's a monster in your dream. What happened? You're having a nightmare. You went from a great paradise type of dream that you don't want to leave to a couple of minutes to a dream that's a nightmare. Darkness. Let's bring it home a bit. It'd be like this. I'm in my office. I'm working. Everything's good, and I get a call from HR. Hi, Daryl, we need to see you right away. Okay, and your boss is here. Or you're home, and you went for your medical tests, and so I got this ace, no problem, you're my physical. And the doctor calls you and says, hey, Mr. Romano, your test came back. I need to see you. Yeah, okay, I'll come next week. No, no, I need you to see you this afternoon. There's some irregularities in your test all of a sudden when you thought you were healthy. Or you're having some financial problems. And you applied for a loan from a bank or a financial institution, and you're sure they were going to come through. And at the last minute, they said, we have to reject you. We can't give it a loan. Now what do I do? Or you, you have a child, school doing well, and all of a sudden, one day, you get a call from the principal's office. Mr. Romano, we need to see you. I have your son or daughter here with us. There's a problem here. Okay? You applied for a job. You aced the interview. You knew you were going to get it. You're ready, and you get a letter in the mail. They're rejecting you. They can't tell you why, but rejecting you have no other alternatives right now. Or you come home from work. You're ready to have dinner with your spouse, and he or she says, listen, we need to talk. I want a separation from you. Or the person that you fell in love with, that you want to either ask out or be in a relationship or ask them to marry you, you're all psyched up and everything, and you ask, they said, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Out of the blue transition in life and it happens so basically your life for all intents and purposes was good or was okay then all of a sudden it takes a seemingly turn for the worst right remember alarmed in the verses alarm is like a the alarm clock wakes us up it jolts us out of our dreams or what we think into reality and sometimes reality is causing us some type of fear or dread it shakes us up our very foundations Maybe you've been there or you're there today. You know, I mean, like I said, I'll go back and forth between our story and my story. When I lived in a story, I was a young Christian. 
and I uh, rented a, in a, on Dittmar's Boulevard, 47th Street, a small studio room apartment. And I was there for a couple of years, and I intended to stay there for a couple of years. It was good. I come home one night from work, and I said, you know what, I'm going to have some dinner. I'll pray, and then I'll watch some sports on TV. Doing that, and then the door knocks. It's my landlord, Dennis. Hey, Daryl, how you doing? Uh, hey, Dennis, what's going on? Daryl, I got news for you. I'm sorry to say this. My dad has become ill, and we need the place to keep him, and it's really crazy. So I'm going to have to use your place. And I looked at him and said, oh, okay. Well, when do you need me to get out? Have... By next week. I'm sorry, Darren. He closed the door. And he closed the door. And my nice night turned to darkness. I stood there. I couldn't move for like three, four minutes. I was paralyzed. I didn't have too many friends. You know, I just started to join the church. And I started thinking, what am I going to do? I couldn't move for four or five minutes. I was in panic mode. I was so comfortable. And then it changed in a minute. I couldn't do anything for the next three days. I went to work, hardly worked. I couldn't sleep at night. I didn't pray, didn't do anything because I let fear paralyze me at that point. Okay. So let's go back to our story. Um, and I'll go back to my story later. So what happened when this impending word, all of a sudden they're going to be attacked and destroyed? What did Jehoshaphat have to do? Well, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. It wasn't automatic. He didn't say, okay, listen, I'm going to go to God. I'm just going to ask him and pray, and everything's going to be taken care of. I don't think it happened like that. Resolved. What does that mean? He decided. That means he had to make a decision. I believe he went to himself, inside himself, spiritually, emotionally, he went to his heart. And what am I going to do? He says, am I going to just stay here and let fear overwhelm me? They were afraid. Am I going to tell the people, let's get the heck out of here? What am I going to do? And he resolved. It wasn't any decision. Because everything in hell was breaking loose to go to God, to consult the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast also. Well, you know what? Back then in my situation, I didn't eat also for a couple of days. But I didn't proclaim a fast. I just lost my appetite because I was scared. You know what? I couldn't do anything. So Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast and brought the people together before God. So could you put the second slide up, please? So I'd like to ask you, when you're... A difficult situation comes on, you're challenged, an issue, suddenly, maybe you're in one now, or have been, or will be. What is your reaction when a sudden challenge, issue, problem, or situation arises in your life? What do you do? What is your usual response? Who or where do you go for help? In my situation, I started calling people all over the place, people that I haven't heard from from years. Hey, Daryl, long time no here. Yeah, you got to help me. Listen, they're throwing me out of here. I need person, what are you talking about? And I called about 10 people two nights. Nobody could really help me. Uh, I was just like, fear city. Okay, let's pick up with the next uh, verses, verses 5 to 12. So we're going back to me and then back to the story. Okay, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and, and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory would not allow Israel uh, to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Let's look at this for a minute or two. Now, verse 11. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as inheritance. So God told Jehoshaphat and the people, they had an opportunity to take care of these invaders before. They could have destroyed them and got rid of them. And he says, nope. He gave them grace. He says, no, let them go. Don't touch them, right? 
You think they'd be grateful. No, now they're going to come back. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're going to destroy everyone. It's almost like real life, right? Have you ever gone out of your way for someone, a family member, a friend? You stuck your neck out for somebody who needed help big time. And now it's your turn. You're, you're going through something. You're going through a problem situation and you need help. And they're nowhere to be found. They're nowhere to left dodge. Or somehow, some way, they stab you in the back. Right? Yeah. Um, verse 12. I love this verse. It says, we don't, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We can't do anything. We're too weak. Poor Staten Island. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. How many people like Batman here? All right, all right, great, cool. Well, when I was in Astoria, in Hope Astoria, years ago, uh, we had uh, started a home group, me and this young man, Brian Peterson. He was like 28, and his wife, Rebecca Peterson, was also 28. And I happened to be co-leading, and I led it that day, so we had an icebreaker fellowship, and I said, who likes Batman? And I said, what do you like? And people were saying, Batman Begins, Batman, Dark Knight, Batman Forever, Batman Returns, Batman this, Batman that. And then Rebecca Peterson, only 28 years old, said, yeah, those movies, yeah. I liked Batman with Adam West from the 1960s, with him and Robin and all the, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, that every week was a different episode. That was great. That was acting. That was corny, but that was fun. So I remember those episodes. Matter of fact, I watched it last night at 1030, an episode on MeTV. Took a break from praying for the service, and I went back to praying and went to sleep. That was my night last night. So... There was one episode where Batman, a Catwoman tra traps Batman in this big room. And she goes, Batman, see, there's two doors over here. Now, I'm going to let you choose. You pick one of those two doors. If you pick one door, I'm behind that door. You could arrest me, and I'm yours. But the other door is my pet, a man-eating tiger who hasn't eaten for a week, and he's starving. So which is it going to be, Batman? Which is your choice, the lady or the tiger? So Batman is looking and he picks, believe it or not, Batman picks the wrong choice and the tiger comes out. And the tiger jumps at Batman. Actually, he jumps and then they stop because next week picks it up again, unfortunately. <laughs> so they, they, they froze the tiger in midair attacking Batman. Give Batman a break. Uh, so then it picks up next week and Batman's fending him off. You know, you know how Batman, he's pretty good and everything. But how long, the hat woman's making fun of him. How long are you going to do that, Batman? So Batman takes out his suctions, bat suctions. He climbs up the wall and he holds on to the wall. And Catwoman says, how long are you going to stay up there, Batman? You're going to weaken. So it looks bad. And Batman goes into his chili belt and he's got this siren type of thing. It's like humans can't hear but animals. And he turns into high decibel. The, the tiger falls to the floor. His ears are going to break. Batman jumps down, leaves the room, closes the door. Turns the thing off, Tiger gets up, and at the end, of course, Batman captures Catwoman in usual uh, Batman fashion. But, so which door, Batman? Which door are you going to choose? So for us, my brothers and sisters, which door are you going to choose? Is it going to be the lady or the tiger? Your back hurts, right? You're having problems with your spine. Should you go to a chiropractor or should you go to a physical therapist? Sounds like a little thing. <laughs> when your back hurts, you've got to make a decision, and you don't want to make the wrong choice, Right? How about, uh, should I go to surgery or should I not go to surgery? Should I choose this career path or that career path? Should I buy or rent? I have a little m money left. Should I put into savings or should I uh, pay down some of my mortgage or some debt? Should I go to this college or that college? Should I move to this part of New York or that part of New York? Should I confront that person about this issue at work? Or should I let it go? 
Should I talk to my spouse about this or no? Should I talk to my child about this or not? In this difficult situation, they'd be facing, what should you do? Well, if you're like me, you know what the answer is to most of it? I don't know what the answer is. And if you're like me, I'm afraid to make a mistake. I'm a perfectionist. And what happens if I make a mistake? Now, I'm not Batman. Batman made a mistake, but, you know, he came through. Of course, he's Batman. But I, I don't know. And that also shows that I'm not trusting God because if I make a mistake, I'm so worried about it, that means I'm not trusting God that I can't make a mistake. I have to be a perfectionist, right? That's really what I'm saying, right? So verse 12, okay? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Eyes on you. Just put up the next slide, slide three. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why fix our eyes on Jesus and not on me up here or pastor? Kathy's a great pastor, but not on your spouse or your boss or your dream vacation or your favorite sports team? Because Jesus knows the answer. He has the hairs on our head numbers. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows. He's not taken surprised by our choices in life. He's got us covered. He knows the answer to our problems. Right? So let me ask this question. Let's read, okay, I'm sorry. Let's read verses 14 to 18 now. Okay. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Zahiel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeliel, the son of Menaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Okay, so the Jehoshaphat and the people went before the Lord, right? They prayed and waited for what? They wanted God to take care of their problem, to fix the problem, to destroy the enemy, to do something, just like I do, just like we do when we have a problem, right? God, fix this now. I want to get out of this mess now. On the double, not tomorrow, not next week, not next week, right now, right? What does God do? He doesn't fix the problem right then. Through a prophet, the Lord speaks to them. He gives them words, words of encouragement, words of hope to keep the flame going, to give them hope, to empower them, to let them know that he has not forgotten them, that whatever they're going through, whatever you're going through today or may go through, that God is not going to ban you. He's not taken by surprise, that he loves you, and he's going to be there for you to face the issues that you have in life. What did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, right? Do not be afraid, it says. Do not be discouraged. Twice. Why does God say that Twice. Because God knows if you're like me, my default mode when a sudden challenge, issue, problem comes up is to f- go to fear, to go to discouragement, to, par- to get paralysis like I was in the story, to freeze up if I or we are left to our own discouragement. So he tries to assuage that by giving us hope. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I know you're afraid and discouraged, but don't be like that. I'm going to take care of you. I'm there for you. Giving them words of hope. And he gives them words of direction. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. You will not have to fight this battle, although you think you did. That's great words. Let's look at slide four. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you find yourself at times fighting battles that perhaps 
God did not ask you to or intend you to fight? Do you find yourself trying to do too much in some areas of your life, and then as a result, you're worried, you're afraid, you're exhausted, you're bent out of shape? He also says, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you in those verses of you, right? So stand firm. Well, he's telling them physically to stand firm where you are. Don't move, don't retreat, don't go anywhere. Stand firm, right? Now, in your situation that you're facing or may face, he may tell you that through prayer, through the Bible, through when, if you come up for prayer or whatever, stand firm. Or he may tell you to take a step back. Or he may tell you to go forward the Holy Spirit of Jesus. But in this particular case, he's telling them to stand firm. Now, that's the physical stand firm, but there's also a spiritual, relational part of stand firm. What he tells you physically to go forward or stay where you are, go back. Stand firm also means stand firm in who you are. Remember, you're my son, my daughter. I love you. No matter what you're going through, Jesus died for you. I love you. He rose again. Whatever you're going through, I got it covered. I'm going to come through for you. For stand firm in my love for you and who you are in Christ and who you are in me. And see the deliverance, it says, the Lord will give you. Right? It's saying God is going to come through for you. What words of expectancy? Do you expect God to come through for you? Do you expect God to do things, good things for you in your life? So my story, going back, when I finally calmed down after about four days, and there were like three days left, uh, thinking I'm going to be thrown in the street, I called a woman who we had a Bible study with. Her name was Darrell. She was from Africa. She's like 78 years old. She loved the Lord, very sweet. Used to sing worship songs and the, read the Bibles to us. And so I told her what was going on. She said, Darrell, I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to read 2 Chronicles 20 tonight. I'm like... Thanks, Darrell. I was like, Second Chronicles 20, what is a chronicle? I don't have time for that. I'm going to get thrown out. I don't have time to read the Bible. So, so I hang up. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to read it. I'll read it. I searched. I turned it. I read it that night. I read it again. Went to sleep. Got up in the morning. I read it. And I'm not kidding. I start to felt differently. Little by little, a little peace. I felt some strength. And then I said, okay, time for action. I started looking in the newspaper. I made some phone calls. I visited some place in Astoria. Too expensive. But even though there's two days left, I started to feel now that I read that passage and prayed, and now that I started to go out, I felt strength and I felt there was hope that God was going to make a way. But oh, I was still in, in, in the fear, but I felt different. Okay, it was almost like there was a paradigm shift going on in me. Back to our story, go back and forth. Verse 18 Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Jehoshaphat, uh, Judah, and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. So God gives him these words of encouragement, hope, direction, and what he's going to do. And as a result of those words, their reaction is great. They bow down and worship and thank God for the word. They didn't say, oh, forget about it. That's just a word. Oh, that's nice to hear, God, but I don't see you taking any action yet. They just thank God for what he said, believe what he was going to do, and they bow down and worship over him. That, what a great sight that is. And if you're going through something today, if something's heavy on your heart, through some challenge, issue, relationship, we can invite you. If you want to come up later, we'll have prayer for you so you get a word of hope, encouragement, and direction from the Lord. So we're in the home stretch. Let's read verses 21 to 30. The home stretch of this story, my story. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Oman and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy 
one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled to the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Let me ask you a question, verse 21. Why did Jehoshaphat appoint people to go, I'm sorry, to go to the front of the line with still this vast army there, you still don't know what's going to happen, and start worshiping and praising God? Wouldn't you want to get like Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman again and Batgirl and all these Marvel comics to get up front? But he chose to have people to worship and praise God. Why did he do that? Could you put up the next slide? See, here's the reason. Because worshiping God, even though it's difficult in the midst of our trials, issues, challenges, and difficult situations, does what? One, it brings glory to God. It shows God that we are trusting in him in spite of what we see, in spite of the fact that the circumstances have not changed. We're still praising and worshiping God, whether in your home group, you're, the, you're here at service, whether you're you know, put on tapes, whatever you do in your heart, you're worshiping and praising God, even in the midst of what you're going through. Not easy, but it's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, it elevates us spiritually and emotionally, even though the circumstances have not changed yet. I'm a very emotional person. I'm Italian Greek. I have a lot of emotion. And... Uh, yeah, when I'm able, it's not easy. I have to resolve my heart to praise and worship God when I'm going through stuff or I'm worried about things. I feel different. Not perfect, but I feel different emotionally and spiritually. And number three, see, worshiping God is a form of spiritual warfare. Now, we shouldn't focus on the devil, the enemy all the time, but the Bible says that we do have an enemy and that some of our battles are spiritual in nature. Okay? Um, Satan, what he wants to do is, if you have a relationship with God through Christ, he can't destroy that. But what he could do is he's trying to throw you off track. He wants you to focus on your problems, your trials, your difficulties. He wants you to worry the heck out of, you know what, and focus on the, not focus on the fact that God loves you and God's there for you. He wants to do whatever he could do to get you off your walk with God and just focus on the problem. He might not be able to, you know, get you going salvation-wise, but he wants you to focus on the problems you're facing and not on God. And that's what he tries to do. Uh, but worship is a way of saying to the enemy, I am not going to focus on my problems, Satan. I'm going to focus on God, that God is good, that even though I'm going through a tough time, he's with me, he's allowing this, and he's working through me, and I believe that he's going to do something good through this. Then what happens? God delivers them in a way they could have never comprehended, right? He sets an ambush, and all the enemies that were going to fight Jehoshaphat, they destroy each other. It's incredible. Let me ask you a question. At the beginning of the story, when they heard of this impending invasion and they said it was alarmed, they were afraid. Do you think that they thought that this is the way it was going to end? Even if it was going to end in a good way, that the people who were going to come to destroy them were going to wind up fighting each other and destroying each other. They would have never thought that in a million years. Not only were they delivered, they wound up with plunder, wealth. They came out better than they, if they had not been in the situation. They came out better if that situation never happened. So let me finish up my, my story. So I'm looking. I feel better, not 100%. I'm praying, and it's like a day and a half left. I still haven't found a place. Who knows what's going to happen? Get a knock on my door, and it's the landlord. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Dennis. How you doing? Hey, listen, Dennis. I'm, I know I have to be out here in a day and a half. Don't worry. He said, what, what are we doing? Said, don't worry. I said, what do you mean don't worry about? 
He says, Daryl, I made a mistake. He says, I have to apologize. He says, what? I spoke to my sister last night. She said, what's the matter with you? She says, remember, I have a room downstairs. We could put Dad there. It's bigger than your little studio place. And he, we could take him for a couple of months. I'll take care of him. You come over twice a week. And the guy's been a good, good person with you. Let him stay there for a couple of months. So he said, Daryl, take it easy. You don't have to leave. You can stay here for three months. And find your place. Take your time. I'm sorry. Apologies. He closed the door. And I was like, hallelujah. Yes. Yes. I breathed for once in a week. And then you know what happened? About a month and a half later, I found a bigger apartment, much bigger. I was able to have parties, friends over, I had home group over, and I had some pastors who couldn't meet somewhere. They came to my place to meet. I was going to stay in that studio for a couple more years, but God had other plans. He allowed us to come in, and I thought that was it, right? But he had bigger plans for me and for other people. It would never happen if the Dylan landlord didn't come down and tell me I had to get out and all those things. So God worked it out. He has other plans, and it was just great. So I, I'd like to invite the worship team to come, come up. And I'd like to invite you to stand, if you can. And could you please put up these, that first slide again? Remember I asked at the beginning, and I'm going to ask this question again. To think of a situation, a challenge, a trial, or a difficult issue you may be facing. Could be health-related, family, relationships, financial, or relationship with God, some major uncertainty about the future. Do you really believe God is bigger than the situation, challenge, or issue? Now that we went through the story... And now that I gave you testimony, what God did in my life, do you now believe or starting to believe that, you know what? I'm feeling different about what, my situation now that I felt 20 minutes ago. I'm believing that God, is gonna, he's got, a, got his hand on my situation and he's got a plan. He's going to come through for me. There's no need for me to be afraid. You know, maybe what's going to happen is you will be financially and materially better at the end of this. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just that God has something new, a new direction that he wants to put you to. And you wouldn't have done it if you didn't go through whatever you're going through or we'll go through. Or maybe it's God wants to grow you in your faith in him and trust in him, that he loves you and he has a hand for you. And maybe God's got, he has plans for all of us and maybe this is preparation, the stuff that we're going through today to prepare us for the future. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that... Even though, Lord, we face a lot of difficulties in our lives, and we will, that your hand's upon us, Lord. Lord, your, your desire is for us to grow in the knowledge of your love for us and to really believe that whatever we're facing, you're bigger than these obstacles, these armies, health, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is, relational, Lord, you're there for us. Teach us, grow us, Lord, to believe in you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. Help us, Lord, to know that you're bigger that your love is bigger than anything we could face, Lord. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.